name's Anna, as Michael mentioned, and I'm excited to continue this series that we're in at the moment called Rhythms. And I wanna let you in on a little thing that happened to me last week. And so um, I had that experience where I got to work and I was at my computer and doing the morning emails and working through my day. And it got to a point where I realised that I was like, I'm not concentrating too well. I'm not like in my work, I'm a bit distracted. What is going on? And I realised I was like, I am just too hungry to concentrate. I just keep getting sidetracked. I can't think anymore. I don't know if it's the only one that's happened to, but I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I can't wait any longer. I've got to have my lunch now. And so I went to uh, the kitchen and started heating up my chicken and veg and it was 10 past 10 in the morning. And I thought, oh my days, this day is not going to go down too well. And so there I was shamefully at the microwave um, trying to be discreet when one of my beautiful colleagues came in, Mr. Brett Lush, and um, he did what you're supposed to do at 10 a.m. in the morning and was making a morning coffee. And he kind of looked at me and the, the wafting smell of uh, my chicken was seeming like a muffin or a cookie or anything that you'd think was morning tea time. Um, and after a bit of banter around what that all looked like, he kind of affirmed me and encouraged me and said, well, you know what, Anna? We used to have Calvin here every, every day having his first lunch at 10 a.m. So you're fine. And I said to him, Brett, I'm, I'm surprised that you think that I have a similar stature to Pastor Calvin, who is six foot one and an ex-rugby player with a metabolism who can cope with two lunches every day. But nonetheless, uh, I ate my lunch in peace and, and the next day I sat down to do my sermon prep on fasting. And I thought, here we go, this is gonna be tricky. And so all I can say from the beginning is that um, this sermon, this message, this rhythm that we are encouraging you around this morning, unfortunately, it's not an easy one, but it's a very, very significant one. And so I hope, my hope is this morning that I can bring some encouragement and some instruction around what it could look like for you to join us when we fast um, in two Mondays time on the 30th of, of January, we're fasting for a week. So my hope is to rally you up and get you encouraged and inspired, but also know why, why it's important to fast. Um, as you can see, and hopefully you resonate with me, but I would say it's a pretty universal experience to um, know what it feels like to hunger. It's part of the human condition, right? We might have food for a while, but then it, we get hungry again. It's just one of those experiences in how God seemed to design our bodies. It's a, it's a pretty agreeable term, right? To say we all hunger. And I doubt anyone in this room would disagree with me, but what happens, what happens if I said, we actually are all designed to hunger for God, everyone. It's a human experience to hunger for God. I wonder if you would still as strongly agree. What if I then said, it's a universal human experience to hunger for the things of God? Maybe then you're warming up to it. But I would strongly suggest and believe that we actually do all have very similar hungers, desires, longings as human beings. We long and hunger for purpose. We long and hunger and desire for security. 
I think we long and we hunger and we desire to be loved. And these things, these foundationary things that are the experience of each one of us, what it means to be human, can all be satisfied and found in God. And so if we all agree that we all have hunger, my question to us this morning that I want us to keep coming around, my question is what truly satisfies your hunger? What is it that satisfies your hunger, your desires and your longings? I wanna start there and bring you to a verse uh, in Scripture. It's a tiny little verse and it's found within a collection of similar verses with uh, what's called the Beatitudes. And it's this part of Scripture where Jesus is describing what a flourishing life looks like. If you were to live in the ways of Jesus, you would experience the goodness and the fullness and the abundance of which life uh, Jesus has designed and encourages us to experience. And so these Beatitudes, these single little verses are showing us and writing us and giving us a picture of what they look like. So we're gonna jump in at Matthew chapter five, verse six. It's gonna be up on the screen for you. It says this, "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, "'for they will be filled.'" Everyone say filled. Filled. "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, "'for they will be filled.'" And so just in this tiny little one sentence verse, I think that there's so much truth and there's, there's some deep things that we can unpack, but there's also some words that are quite unique to the Christian experience, right? We don't really use this language elsewhere. And so I wanna unpack a little bit of it so that we're on a similar page. The first word, blessed. Now, that's not a word that we commonly come across. So what does it mean? Blessed here is not talking about a certain status that you receive, a certain blessing that therefore you just receive as a one-off. This is more around living a blessed life, a continuous life. And a similar word that we could use is in the sense of flourishing, right? Flourishing is one who hungers and thirsts. Blessed is one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So this idea of it's not like you will get more or less blessing or you're only blessed if this happens, but you will live a rich and fulfilling and flourishing life if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So righteousness, what does that mean? Again, super Christian-y word. Righteousness uh, is this, in this particular instance, is again, not talking about a status, like you won't be more righteous than someone else or you can't wear it as a badge or it's not a sense of like, well, I'm holier than thou. This sense of righteousness is talking about actually having a relationship with God. It's talking about righteousness as being one with God, aligning your heart with God, experiencing His holiness in your life and through your life. Righteousness is about a relationship. So you could read this verse and you could say, um, Flourishing is one who hungers and thirsts for their intimate relationship with God or one who hungers and thirsts and invests in the depth of relationship. This idea of we're not pursuing something that's a, a religious right. We are pursuing a relationship here. And it's out of that place that you will have that deep satisfaction. You will have that, that fullness to be filled with God. There's a amazing biblical scholar. I love everything that he writes, but he, um, he just unpacks things so beautifully. His name's Kenneth Bailey. And he says this, if you want to follow along on the screen, 
Each day, prompted by hunger and thirst, all people seek food and water, hoping to be satisfied. But for how long? After a few hours, the cravings return. 10 a.m., am I right? This beatitude makes clear that the blessed are those who, sorry, blessed are those whose drive for righteousness is as persuasive, all-consuming and reoccurring as the daily yearning to satisfy hunger and thirst. Hungering and thirsting for that righteousness can only be satisfied by God. It's this sense that it's not a one and done kind of experience. You don't just eat and then you're forever full. It's this reoccurring thing. And so what we want to start with this morning is this idea of when we hunger and thirst for God, we wanna continually be pressing into Him. We wanna continually be seeking out what He has. It reminds me a little bit of a story where Jesus meets this woman at the well. It's a quite common story, but perhaps you haven't been in church much. So let me um, unpack it a little bit. Basically, Jesus meets this woman who is um, out collecting water from a well. And Jesus has an understanding that this woman is hungering and thirsting for many things, but is trying to be satisfied by all the wrong things. Sounds like a lot of our kind of experience when we're not necessarily walking close with God. We've got these hungers and these desires. She longed to be secure. She longed to be loved. She longed to have identity and purpose, but she was finding it in places that were not satisfying her. And we see that because she makes the same mistake over and over again. And Jesus basically says to her, well, aren't you weary with that? Haven't you had enough of that? Don't you realise that it's not actually satisfying? You're hungering and thirsting after things, but you're not full. And so what he offers her is this sense of living water. He says, come to me, I will give you something that will actually satisfy you, that will actually satisfy those longings. You're looking in the wrong places, but if you look at me, I will give you living water that will satisfy you going forward. And some of us here in the room, you can kind of identify with that. You can identify with that sense of, I haven't really found that in Jesus yet. You know, 2023 might be the year that you've decided to um, be intrigued and curious about religion. You may be checking out different faiths or seeing different churches. And and maybe this is all very new to you. Maybe you've got a neighbour or a friend or a family member who, who comes to church. Maybe not this church, maybe this church, but comes to church and you thought, oh, I've always wanted to kind of check that out. And so you're on the very beginning of this journey of discovery. And what I love is that, Jesus loves that curiosity. And so keep coming to Him with your questions. And today I hope that you see that uh, there's a God who longs to satisfy your deepest longings. There might be some of you in the room who've been around church for a while. And uh, when we talk about fasting or when we talk about these longings, you think, oh yeah, and I've, I've, I've tried that and it didn't seem to work. Or I, I think I know a little bit about that, but I'm still on the fence. There's people who are probably a bit cautious, a bit worried. They're thinking, oh, Anna, are you going to get too far into legalism? Is this going to be a bit too workspace to earn God's love and His favour? And you're hesitant and you're resistant. And there might be some people in the room who are thinking, and I thought you were going to preach on fasting. Why have you started here? What's the connection? 
And my hope is in starting right here in in Matthew um, with this idea of looking at our hunger and our desires is because I believe intent is very important when it comes to fasting. Our intent, our reasoning behind it, our big why, why we do it really matters. And Jesus gives us a lot of warnings around having ill intent or having the misunderstanding around why we fast or why we do certain spiritual practices. My question around what truly satisfies your hunger is because I could tell you all morning long that it's important to fast, but until you recognise that you already have hunger within you, but you need to long for that from God, to receive that from God, me telling you to do something will not cause any change. My hope is that our intent, our desire, why we want to fast is aligned with Scripture and uh, is for the right purposes. Fasting is very popular in our society, actually. Um, Not necessarily Christian spiritual fasting, but there's a lot of uh, physical health benefits to fasting that are on the rise. There's probably a number of people in this room who do intermittent fasting. I was researching about, I think it's the 16-8 or the 19-5 kind of fasts. And, and our culture, even though it's very food obsessed, is also now quite into fasting. And so is this the kind of fasting we're talking about this morning? Is it, is it around physical health? And um, whilst those may be really good for you, this morning what we want to talk about is Christian spiritual fasting. And so Uh, In a little bit, I'll give you a working definition towards that. But I just want to preface with the warning that Jesus gives. Again, in Matthew, um, he's talking about these three practices, three practices that he assumes his disciples are doing, and he wants to give these clarifications around warning. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16, uh, it reads this, it'll be on the screen for you. When you fast... Do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. For truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your face and wash uh, on your head and wash your face, so that you will not it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who is sees what is done in secret will reward you. What is he saying here about oil on your head and, and on your face? What, what's Jesus saying? Yes, these are customs of that time, but what's the truth for us in this? Jesus is warning us around having the right motivations and the right motives for why we fast and how to do it when we're fasting. If you're fasting and you're saying to your kids or your colleagues or um, your small group, oh yes, I'm fasting um, these days or in a boastful sense, you're undoing the very thing that fasting is supposed to do, which is to bring you into a humble state before God and, and long to receive from Him. Fasting is primarily a you and Him. It's an audience of one. It's this sense of your longing for some deep connection with our God. And and it's not about boasting to others that you're seeming spiritually elite. That's not what God wants. That's That's what Jesus is warning the Pharisees against, his disciples against. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't be proud. Don't do this for show. Remember when you fast, it's about you and your father. It's about that intimate place. So be careful not to draw attention. Be careful not to do things that make you look holier than thou. 
So Jesus' warning is even though those things around oil on your head and washing your face maybe don't apply to us today, there is that sense of be careful where your heart is when it comes to fasting and make sure it's not to, be, to come across as, like I said, spiritually more profound or elite or better than someone else. That's not the desire or the intent that God wants. So what is fasting? I'm going to give you a working definition. It's on the screen for you. It says this, A Christian fast is going without primarily food for the purpose of drawing near to God. Going without primarily food for what purpose? To draw near to God. So it's not for any other purpose. It's not for um, health benefits. It's not for saving time. It's not for saving money. It's not for looking like a better Christian. It is for drawing close to God. That's our intent. And so there's some practical people in the room uh, who now are just wondering, okay, well, Anna, like how? I've, I've got the motive. I've got the reasoning. But like, how am I meant to do this? I mean, you've got some questions around it. And my hope is that if we can unpack the practicality of, okay, what does fasting actually look like? My hope is that then um, in two Mondays time on the 30th, when we actually practice fasting together, you can give it a go. That you have the tools in your hand, that you have the, the passion to give it a try and that you can sense with the Lord with wisdom what, what might work for you. So let's talk about a few questions. One question might be, how long, Anna, am I meant to fast for? What is the appropriate time that you fast? And there's multiple examples all through Scripture of different lengths of time um, in which a fast can take place. We have Esther, she declares a three-day and three-night fast for um, her, her, her nation to try and change some political things that are going on in the land. And so she declares that just for a quick three days, three nights. Whereas Jesus, what does he do? He does no food and no drink for 40 days and 40 nights. That is rather long. But the Israelites, they also do a 40 day fast where they are waiting for the 10 commandments to come in place. So there's, there's a real spectrum of difference in time. Um, there's a few seven day fasts, there's, there's all different lengths. So what does that mean? It means that there's nothing super spiritual about the actual length of your fast. Uh, that's about the wisdom that you have to gain with God about how long, Lord, do you want me to fast for this? It might be that the community, like us, we set a certain amount of time and, and you can do all or some of that. So the timing, all different times. Um, you can do a 10-day fast, 20-day, whatever. Um, but then you might be asking, okay, well, what do I fast? What do I abstain from? And again, there's, there's multiple uh, examples in the Bible. We have Jesus where he fasts from no food or water. Very extreme. Um, I would not recommend fasting from water for 40 days. You will see Jesus in a very, very tangible way. Um, so maybe avoid that one. But there's different ways that you can take place, right? You could um, just fast from, from food and keep your liquids up. That's a, a common fast to do. There's also partial ones we see in the book of Daniel where he does a fast from particular foods. Um, again, for this, this sense of resisting the, the pleasure that comes from food and only doing it for basic needs. So there is a bit of diversity around particularly what it is. Um, but I would suggest that fasting, like I said in that definition, primarily uh, is to do with food. 
And there's a lot of people who will say, well, I'm going to fast from social media or I'm going to fast from coffee or I'm going to fast from sleeping in my bed or whatever it may be. Um, And I think that they are all wonderful things to do to check our heart um, for any kind of idolatry or for any kind of places that we are investing more so in than God. Uh, But when it comes to fasting, I would suggest that it does actually deal with food. And I think that that's because when we look at our hunger and our thirst for righteousness, um, there's nothing more primal or, provi- uh, or innate than that desire for food reminding you of your desire for God. And you might be quite heavily addicted to your phone and so that feels really hard and that's a great practice to do. But in the name of fasting, it is primarily to do with food. But I wanna preface that as well to pastorally say that I recognise that in this room there will be people for that, uh, for whom that is very unwise. Perhaps you're on medication that needs for you to take that with food. Or perhaps you've had an experience in your life where eating disorders um, have plagued you and, and stripping back food may be quite unwise for you. So please hear that this is not a prescriptive thing and we want you to use your wisdom and your guidance and bring people into that journey to think through what does it look like for you to go without in order to press into God? What could that look like for you? The next question you might ask is, well, does a fast always have to happen corporately? Is it always about just a church doing it together? Um, And which again, we look to scripture for examples and we see a bunch of different examples. Hannah, she is longing for a child and uh, she's in that that uh, span of waiting. And so the desperation and the need for God to move is high. And so she does a fast uh, by herself and she waits and she prays and she abstains from food. But then we also see, like I mentioned with Esther, she calls the whole, the whole community, the whole nation into a fast. So there's that difference of, of you can do it alone, uh, but you can also do it in community. And the last thing that you might be asking is, okay, well, for what purpose? When should I fast? Is there certain times that fasts work or that might be your thinking? And there's, there's multiple reasons why you might fast. Uh, we see patterns of it in scripture where when there's a real sense of repentance and mourning, people will uh, fast because they are they're longing for God to shift things and they're, they're in such a desperate place to be filled with God because they're so aware of their need for God because of their falling short. So there's a repentance and a mourning that's there. But there's also um, a need for fasting when there's a longing for breakthrough, for intercession, to see things change. Um, the, there's a verse in Joel chapter two, uh, where it says this, the Lord says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend your heart to me. So it's this idea of that with mourning and weeping and, and a drawing near, that's the key ingredient, that drawing near to God. We see uh, an example where certain things can perhaps only shift when there's fasting that's taken place. And there's this breakthrough and this deep desire and this strong move of God that happens uh, when people fast. And we see this with the disciples where um, there's a boy who's possessed with a, with a demon and uh, the disciples have tried to cast this demon out. And Jesus comes back and uh, the man comes to him and says, well, 
your disciples tried, but it, it didn't work. And the disciples, they question with Jesus, why is that the case? And Jesus says some pretty strong words here around faith, but he also says that, that certain things will only change with prayer and fasting. And so there's this idea of there's some things that, that can shift. God can really be at work and breakthroughs can happen when His people fast. And so we might know all this. Like you, you might be sitting here bored thinking, Anna, I, I know what fasting is. Um, but the, the question is really around, we might know it in theory, but how, much, how many of us are practising it? There's, there's a, you can have as much information and as much knowledge, but until it translates into a rhythm in your life, what difference is that making? And so my hope is that this changes from just theory and we can put this into practice. So I want to give some examples of actually how to do that, why to do that, um, some things that have worked in my life, some things that haven't worked in my life. And I'd say the first thing to change that from just theory into practice is to be inspired. Be inspired by people who fast. Be inspired by people who have seen change and talk about their experience. Be inspired by the life of Jesus. The fact that he, he before he started his ministry, what did he do? He did a 40-day fast. Why would he have needed to do that? If, if he didn't deem it so important and so necessary, why put himself through the pain and the discomfort? If Jesus is deeming it significant, we need to pay attention to that and think, okay, well, what, what part of that can I then do in my life? Another thing, like I mentioned, there's plenty of biblical stories where people have fasted. There's plenty of examples where uh, people's lives are in such a place where they are desperate for change. And so they turn to God with prayer and fasting. And so you might be in a, in a season or a, in a time where there's some things that are going through your life that you've just, you've got to the end, you've got to your limit and you think what's left. And what I see in these patterns of these people in the Bible is that what's left is fasting and prayer is left. And so they give that a go with all that they have and they see, see such intimacy with Christ. I, I used to, uh, for a season, fast on Mondays. And it was a time where um, in my pastoral ministry and leading our young adults, I just sensed that there needed to be a shift in the passion to move from a place of apathy into a place of desire and hunger. And so I felt like the Lord was encouraging me to take it seriously and to habitually fast on Mondays. And so I did that for a season and I would come in here and um, and really be, begin to sense the heartbeat of God. The, the clarity that happens when you fast um, is you hear two things very, very clear. The first thing that you hear is your stomach rumble constantly, very clear. The second thing is that you hear the voice of God extremely clear. And in those moments, what I sensed was my passion and my desire and my vision for uh, and hope for our young adults enhanced and grew and was inspired. My intimacy with God and the sense that we were a team, the, the closeness of Him was so tangible. And, and the encouragement and the spurring on where He would encourage me to keep going through tough times and, and lead me through those, again, was so tangible. And could those things have been just as prominent if I wasn't fasting? Maybe but probably not. 
I didn't, I didn't sense those things in the same way when I didn't have that rhythm of fasting. And it was such a delight. It was very hard, extremely hard, but it was so worth it. Because in those moments, you could say, okay, is, that, is, it, is it worth it to go through? Isn't it a bit intense? Uh, seems a bit full on. Uh, but what I would say is that you might fast some days and only feel hunger, but you might fast some days and feel God closer than you ever did before. And so if that's not worth it, I don't know what is. Um, but that desire to keep going and to keep pushing in and to have that rhythm is, is, is so important. And it's funny, I obviously get asked a lot of questions as a pastor, but um, one of the prominent questions that continues to surprise me because I re recognised that people actually listened and have great memories, um, but one of the, the questions that I get asked the most as a pastor is, Anna, how is your lemon tree? And yes, so this time two years ago, in case you're looking at me very blankly, I preached on, uh, in our rhythm series on the rule of life and having uh, a rhythm of, of kind of structure and all these kind of things that we talked about. And I, I used my lemon tree as an example of having a trellis in which you can grow the things of God in your life. And so I had this picture, this was the beginning of my lemon tree and people asked me, I think last week someone even asked me, how is Lulu? How's Lululemon going? And um, I normally give them this reaction where I just go, she's not doing too well. And I'd love to show you a photo of Lulu. This is Lulu now. <laughs> this is Lulu now. And I can't part with her, um, but Lulu, this picture is a picture of neglect. It's, let's call a spade a spade. This is neglect. And um, when I was preparing for this and thinking about this and wondering with the Holy Spirit, this is the picture that the Holy Spirit gave me, which was hugely confronting when the Holy Spirit seemed to align that that is what your soul can look like if you neglect it. Oh, okay. And what I have recognised is that you can have seasons in your life where you are nurturing your soul very well, but you could have times as well where you're not, where there seems to be neglect. And there might be some of us here this morning who the health of their soul might look a little bit like this at the moment because we've neglected some of the rhythms, some of the nurturing, some of the care that our souls really need. And the things that we're teaching on this, obeying scripture, listening to God, having these rhythms of fasting, these are like super fertilizers for your soul. They're the things that keep it alive and keep it flourishing and keep it in a place of bearing fruit. And it's not to say that uh, if you neglect these things, if you don't do these things, then you're not a Christian anymore, or that God doesn't love you. That's not what this is about. But the thing is, if we wanna live a flourishing life, if we wanna have our souls alive to the things that God is doing, then we need to tend to our souls. We need to nurture them. And my rhythm of, of uh, fasting on Mondays 
it just seemed to die out. It's not a practice that I do any, anymore on that particular day. And the Holy Spirit was just conv convicting me of saying, well, why not? And it's something that unless we have a rhythm of something, unless we do it constantly at whatever kind of frequency, it doesn't need to be every week, but this is something that we need to pay attention to. And maybe you, f you tried fasting many years ago and you seemed like, oh, it didn't really work or it's not for me or um, it was too hard or whatever it is. Can I encourage you to pick it up again and give it a go? Give it another try because the delight that, is, that God has for us in that is too strong for us to miss out on. Don't neglect the things of your soul. Don't neglect to continue to nurture them. There is no commandment in the New Testament that says that you must fast in order to inherit the kingdom of God. This is not a question around your salvation. This is not a question around the amount of God of love God has for you. He doesn't have his fasting Christians and then all of his other Christians. This is a question around us building up more and more desire for the things of God. God couldn't love you any more or any less than he does right now, but he does long to be with you. And fasting is such a beautiful way to allow that hunger that is innate within us, not to be satisfied by the things of this world, but to be satisfied in God. So what truly satisfies your hunger this morning? What truly satisfies you? John Tyson, he writes this, the power is not in the practice. The practice is a portal to the person. The person has the power. That person is Jesus. Don't forget that this is the means to an end. Fasting in and of itself is not where the power is. The power is finding Jesus in those moments, allowing Him to change and, and adapt and mould and grow and nurture things in our life. And imagine church, imagine if we actually were a people who didn't just fast as a one-off in two weeks time, because that's not actually a rhythm. A rhythm isn't a standalone beat. It's not just one time. A rhythm has to be something that is continuous. It has to have multiple times for it in order to have that sync of a rhythm. And so just fasting once is a great benefit, but imagine what it is if you establish a rhythm in your life. And imagine our church. I just got excited thinking like, we get to preach on this and imagine if half, more than half, 80%, 30%, 10%, whatever. Imagine if some people actually took this and put it into their life and it became a regular practice for them in 2023. Can you imagine the spiritual fruit? Can you imagine the state of your soul and how, and how nurtured and how alive it would become? Can you imagine what that would do to our families, our, our workplaces, our, our homes, our city, our world? Can you imagine? This is such an important important tool that we have. And it's the kind of thing that unless you, you push on the door of fasting, you won't get to what's behind it. Unless you give it a go, unless you experiment with it, you just may not seek the reward that is behind it, that reward of intimacy, not of status, but of relationship. It's a beautiful reward. I wanna leave you with this one quote from Eugene Peterson. 
He talks about spiritual practices and he talks about the fact that we're in desperate need of them. And he says this, our desperate need for uncluttered time and space to distance ourselves from the frenzy of our own activities. Why? Why do we do this? So that we can see what God has been and is doing. Helps us to reflect of His hand at work within our lives and within our families and communities. But also it gives us the eyes to see the hope that is found in Him, the anticipation of what's to come and the joy and the excitement to be on His team to see it happen. Fasting is an incredible tool, an incredible way to be able to do that and to have that intimacy with God.